Testing, one, two, three. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we just open our time with just a word of prayer here. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the rich deposit of truth in your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless this time and use this time to edify your people in the things of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, you know, we are in the midst of the, the holiday season where uh, we're often delighting ourselves in all things savory, you know, family, family dinners and so forth. I thought it would be timely to do a brief do a brief study on the Bible's use of the word salt, and in particular, the meaning of Jesus' words to us as disciples of Christ, that we are the salt of the earth. And um, this is indeed a broad and, and deep subject, so in our time here, we'll just be skimming the surface of, of these things and what that means. But in terms of the occurrence of the word salt in the scriptures, it's, it's, uh, it's mentioned about 40 times, at least in the RESV translation, about 36 times in the Old Testament, seven times in the New Testament. And often it's in reference to place, you know, place names such as the Valley of Salt and the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. But it's also... You know, quite fascinating how in certain biblical texts, salt is employed in metaphorical sense or a symbolic sense, uh, emblematic of something, uh, you know, quite deep. So we're going to be looking um, at several of these, you know, metaphors in the scripture. Um, and of course, some of us may be familiar, somewhat familiar with, with uh, salt and particularly what it means to be salt of the earth. But I guess my goal here is to hopefully expand or enhance um, our understanding of the salt symbolism in the scripture, and in particular, the knowledge concerning our identity as the salt of the earth. So essentially, my aim here is to help us begin to see salt a little differently. (laughs) All right, so let's... um, Let's start off, I guess, by setting a little bit of the historical context. Um, you know, the use of salt in, in biblical times, in the ancient world. You know, those who would be hearing the scriptures and even hearing the teaching of Jesus, their understanding of, of salt and its uh, place in the culture. So I'm just going to open it up. Would anybody be able to, you know, maybe tell us based on their knowledge of, of, of salt, what were some of the things that salt was used for in the ancient world? Anybody? Frank? Well, it was definitely used for preserving. Yeah. But it also we have the famous saying that you will not work your salt. Yeah. In the Roman army, the man had a right to salt. Yeah. He needed that. And if he wasn't worth the salt, I mean, he wasn't doing his job as a soldier. Yeah. So if we're not doing our job as a Christian, and trying mm. in deference to witness to people, 
there's an opportunity to frame Islam. And if yep. not, you can't do that, then you can, you can help support the doctrine. Mm -hmm. But we're not using it. Like he says, he's also assaulting the very thing that makes you salty. The gospel may make yep. you salty. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, certainly pre preservation, as you mentioned, was probably the main, you know, use of of salt as far as preserving food, preserving uh, grain, and so forth. Um, you know, vital, really vital to the existence of of the ancient world. And of course, you know, prior to the advent of refrigeration, you know, um, last century or so forth, um, really we all were very uh, dependent on salt as far as that aspect of it. Now, you mentioned also the Roman army, you know, paying their soldiers in, in salt. And that was another thing that the salt was used for. Um, even, even our English word salary, that is derived from the Latin salarium, which had reference to what uh, Roman soldiers were paid, you know, in, in, in salt. So it was used as a currency, a unit of value. Um, you know, a man is not worth his salt. That, that phrase, you know, comes, comes from um, salt as a unit of, of currency, um, probably from Greek, ancient Greek slave trade, where uh, slaves actually were purchased with salt. So that, that was another thing. So pr pr uh, pr preservation, unit of value. Anything else? Um, anything else? In the ancient world, the salt. Eric? Disinfectant? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Indeed, I think, um, you know, certainly it had a healing or medicinal application. Um, you know, there are accounts of the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Greeks, and, and the peoples of, of the, the Middle East and so forth using salt. Uh, for medical purposes, for treating, you know, topical ailments and on the skin, mixing it, mixing it in with water or milk and uh, using it for, you know, various digestive issues or, um, you know, stomach ailments. Um, another, of course, seasoning would be one of the other main, you know, main, main things. I mean, of course, we are very dependent on salt. We can't imagine, you know, food without that ingredient, right? And you know, it was it was the same it was the same back then, of course. Um, but religious ritual, the the importance of salt in in religious ritual, is something that was was very prevalent, you know, in the ancient world. Um, salt was mixed in or sprinkled on sacrifices of various kinds. Vegetable sacrifices, animal sacrifices. It was an integral part of, you know, many religious altar practices and so forth. And as we'll see a little bit later, very much in the ancient Israel uh, economy and the temple worship, salt had a very important place uh, in, you know, the workings of, of the of the altar and worship of God. So. Let's see here. So now that we've, you know, set up a little bit of the historical con uh, context, 
let's uh, let's go ahead and probably probably the most familiar of the you know so-called salt text in the scriptures, um, Matthew 5:13. Okay, and this, these are the words of Jesus in the midst of the his sermon on the mount. He he goes he uh, goes ahead and says, "You." are the salt of the earth. You being his disciples are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how shall it again be salted or restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. So again, I would ask the question... What does what does Jesus mean when he is using this this symbol of salt as uh, connected with his followers or disciples? I want to open this up a little bit. And um, what, what do we think? Well, what, what would be one of the primary uh, interpretations of, of salt here, Steve? Bringing out the true essence, as far as the f- mm-hmm. okay, How, um, in what sense? Uh, in what sense would um, you know the believers or disciples be a preservative agent agent in this in this world? Okay, uh, Rob. So you're connecting the salt with the the message, yeah, who they are and and the and the message that they are carrying, right? Okay, all right, good, good, Eric. Yeah, very good. Yes. Well, um, yeah, he he touched on you know, a little bit in his sermon um, the that influence, that that moral influence that 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 Christians should have, you know, whether it be in, in the neighborhood and in, in the workplace and and so forth, um, a, a restraining uh, a presence in the world. Yeah. A great example is the woman at the well. She went back and she witnessed and had that whole. Path. Mm. Come back. She was a primary example of salt. Yes. Spread the gospel. Yes. If we can't do that, I mean, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. We try to talk to some people. I have a lot of friends who listen. We're going to stop that stuff with the Bible. You're better off sometimes with strangers. They'll know mm-hmm. you. You have a chance conversation. You can bring it up and feel them out. Mm-hmm. Let the Holy Spirit go. It is yeah. difficult. Yeah. Oh, it is, it is difficult. 
Yeah, I mean, many commentators have noted um, that, you know, soul here could be referring to the, you know, the truth itself, the, 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 the pure message of, of the gospel that, you know, ministers and, 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 and believers should be, you know, carrying with them and, and, so to speak, sprinkling, you know, wherever they go. Did you have a question, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. So is that more, which I'm not quite clear on how exactly, is that your understanding? Yeah, I want to, I mean, I want to, I'm going to suggest that, I mean, the primary, the primary way we should understand this is, um, you know, the metaphor of preservation and, and seasoning. I think those are, those are the primary, um, you know, interpretations. But, um, what I'd like to explore a little bit is some of the other, you know, interesting implications uh, of, of what it means to be salt, and you know, based on some of the symbolism of salt in the in the, in the Old Testament. But um, but just before we leave those two primary, you know, interpretations, I mean, preservation, of course. Um, but what would it mean as far as seasoning if if the salt of the earth is to as believers to season uh, this world. Let's talk a little bit about what that could mean. I would you, say that seasoning is the fact where you can promote peace and harmony within a certain society. Say, brothers, let us not fight, let us discuss this. This is what you shouldn't be doing. You will come as a peacemaker mm-hmm. with the gospel. So you're trying to perfect uh, the, the animosity that reigns between the unsafe sinners. Good, good. Yes, Yes. Sure. Um, is there any particular passage in, in, in Paul that, you know, maybe speaks to this explicitly? Is there any? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's good. That's good. I think it would be I'd be worth just just reading because I mean that that what you alluded to was uh, you know Paul in Colossians, Colossians four, five, and six. I think it, it's just worth 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 reading because it it, it certainly is a parallel to this. And he uh, you know he says in in that passage here, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. 
So, you know, here clearly salt is connected with wisdom and gracious speech. You know, I think particularly in the apologetic sphere where, uh, you know, Christians are to, you know, put their best foot forward and, and like you said, not to be obnoxious, um, you know, in dealing with outsiders, but to, to give off something that's appealing, that something that's attractive. Um, there are a couple other parallel, you know, passages to that Colossians text. Uh, you know, First Peter three fifteen uh, and sixteen is uh, certainly related. You know, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Okay, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you and your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And then also Ephesians 4.29. Let no evil or, or rotten talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. So... Certainly, I, yeah, I just don't want to lose the idea of seasoning connected with wisdom and imparting grace. Okay. Now, if those are the two primary ways we could interpret Jesus here, um, are there any other connotations or, or allusions that may come to mind regarding salt? Oh, certainly. And that if we're not preaching mutual grace, if we're not accused of being an antinomian, then the source of God's flavor and the pure grace is not being preached by a lot of churches. Fortunately, we've been blessed that we're preaching that we're preaching the message of God's Jesus Christ. And that once that message of my going to the cross, that he's trying to tell the disciples that they Sure. Yes, salt as the pure gospel, the pure message of the word. Yes, Brian. I'm just thinking here, he's asked for possibly like other Yeah. Clear I mean clearly I mean salt without salt life is, you know, impossible. Um, you know, it's something vital to, you know, to human life, to biological life, right? So, I mean, certainly, you know, Jesus is, is making a statement about the vitalness, the importance of Christians, you know, believers in this world, just as salt is, you know, 
absolutely imperative for, for life. Eric? In terms of the reaction to his testimony, you know, if he was, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, you know, and that's something I do want to bring bring out a little bit. Um, now, certainly, there are many positive, uh, you know, connections with salt. Positive interpretations as far as the impact um, on the world. Preservation, seasoning, these are things that are, um, you know, positive. But, you know, if you look at, and I have those, some texts listed down there um, on the outline, where salt is really unmistakably connected with judgment and curse uh, in the Old Testament. And it, you know, this is another, another thing that would have been, I think, in, in the minds of, you know, the ancient hearers of Jesus' words and, you know, those ancient readers of, of, of the scriptures. Um, it was customary, you know, for salt to be used in ritualistic, you know, cursing. Um, you know, I'm, some of you may have heard of the practice of sowing land with, with salt. You know, it was an ancient practice that conquering armies would come in and to signify utter desolation and utter, you know, fruitlessness, they would sow salt into the, the, the fields of, of these conquer, you know, conquered people, conquered towns. And, and, of course, salt is, you know, toxic to that land and it would poison it. And it would be barren for, for years you know, to come. And so it, there was, there's this negative connotation as well. And that you know, comes to bear particularly in, in certain Old Testament texts where that's reflected. And um, you know, that practice was, was, uh, was done. You know, there's there's a, a note of that in, in Judges 9.45. There's, there's an account of Abimelech who was one of uh, Gideon's sons, the Lord uses Abimelech to bring down judgment on the town of Shechem uh, you know, for, for their sin. And Abimelech, after taking the city, he sows the city with, he sows the, the land with salt. And you know, so the, the scriptures bear witness to that ancient custom uh, of, of cursing, you know, with, with salt. Um, and, you know, certainly that, that first passage I have listed down there um, in, uh, in Genesis, Genesis uh, 19, which is the account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, which really functions as, you know, an archetypal judgment a judgment by fire, you know, by God on, on, on sin. And, you know, salt, salt is present there. You know, uh, God rains down, you know, salt on, on Sodom and Gomorrah. And, of course, 
Lot's wife is because she turns back and, and looks at the destruction, um, at the, you know, against the explicit command of the angels uh, who were helping them flee the city, she is turned into what? A pillar, a pillar of salt. A pillar of salt. Um, and that judgment, that, that climactic judgment by fire, brimstone, and salt, that certainly does echo through uh, the rest of, of the, uh, the Old Testament in, in many ways. And, you know, we won't take the time to, to read all of those passages, but the, um, it's interesting how that the presence of salt in those texts you know, connects them um, in that manner. Okay. Now, how does that how does that bear? If, of course, um, you know, we are to use the Old Testament, and, and um, you know, as far as helping us to interpret things, we are to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Of course, is there any connection with with salt as a symbol of curse and our calling? As, as salt of the earth, to be salt bearers. You know, is there any uh, any connection to it, Brian? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's clear, you know, from from the New Testament that I mean, of course, the the message of the gospel is life. It's life to those who are able to hear it. If they have ears to hear, if they have eyes to see and ears to hear, it is it is it is life. It is the aroma of of life. But you know, I, we can't escape the flip side the flip side of that. You know, for those who are for those who are perishing, for those who for those who reject um, the message, it 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 turns into a it turns into a curse. It confirms them in in their condemnation. See? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You have the savor of the. You know, some uh, 
you know, some translations render that aroma, you know, stench or savor. But I think, uh, I think it, it still holds that it's, it's blessing on one side and it's curse uh, on the other. What's that? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Certainly. I mean that. Right. John. John three. John three eighteen. Uh, you know, for those who. You know, do not believe. They are confirmed, or you know, in their condemnation, which is already on them for rejecting. Um, you know, rejecting the curse. And again, um, another passage that I think is, is an allusion to even Sodom and Gomorrah in that passage in Second Thessalonians, you know, one five, where it talks about the the judgment of eternal destruction, you know, falls on those who disobey the gospel of Christ, who, you know, in essence reject reject um, you know the truth. And are therefore, you know, suffer the judgment of, 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 of God. Um, maybe you're talking about Judas in that case, but we're in Christ, I mean, how can we uh, basically be thrown out and driving underfoot talking about the gospel, talking about the source of the earth, maybe you can explain that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we can't, we can't escape that solemn warning that, um, you know, we, we need to be careful to maintain, um, you know, our saltiness. And I think that's, you know, that's parallel to, to a lot of texts that, you know, call us to persevere. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we can, you know, ultimately fall away if we are truly regenerate, but... Yes, but I think we can't escape the, the, the call to, perse- to persevere because that, that's it is it is a warning. Don. That's it. Yes. Yes, that's the second Second Corinthians passage. Yeah, that um, you know I think really is in a nutshell you know that. A picture of the, the blessing and the curse. The, the, and, uh, you know, salt is really emblematic, can be used in that way as, uh, you know, it's, it's blessing and it's cursing. I think the primary example for us is when John, in the epistle where he says, they went out from us because yeah. they were not among us. Yes. Now, if any one of us, we were there at the time watching this band of the twelve, we would have said, wow, look at that pious man, that Judas guy, he is great. He deceives everybody. Sometimes yeah. when I worry about that, yeah. the heart is deceitful above all things and does the wicked. Mm-hmm. I say, please don't let me deceive myself. Mm-hmm. Think that I'm doing what's right. Maybe mm-hmm. not. So yeah. when you say that he says we may be tried by the people, he's talking to people that are really false believers. Yeah, and that's true. Yeah, and getting, yeah, false believers, um, you know, false, um, and Judas would be a good example. It is quite amazing. He was in the inner circle. 
of the twelve. He was empowered. Really, he was empowered by the Spirit to do miracles. I mean, of course, I mean, it's mentioned that the disciples went out on Jesus' command to do things and they came back and reported, you know, what they, and presumably Judas was among them, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. God, we don't decide. When you witness to somebody, and I got friends and relatives, I witness to them, and it's okay, look, Frank, don't bother me. Right. I, when I was young, I would have directly rejected the gospel many times. Mm. Listen, Pat, you need that good. I'm on my yeah. own man. Yeah. We do not know who God's elect is when he is appointed as time to say. Right. Mm-hmm. So you go back and you pray for them and you, you try. Yeah. You do the yeah. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, just getting back again to, to the idea of the, the salt losing its, its saltness and being cast out. Um, you know, there are, some commentators have picked up on um, the fact that the idea of being cast out or thrown out uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew is, uh, you know, particular with the scribes and Pharisees, uh, in, in this case, the, the so-called religious leaders of, of, of Israel. Um, you know, really, those who, who should have been the salt bearers, who should have been the true salt of the earth, uh, you know, they, they had become insipid. They had become useless and, and had abandoned uh, um, the truth for, you know, really a system of, uh, of works righteousness. And so... You know, some commentators have seen in 5.13 an oblique reference to the, the scribes and Pharisees here. But um, I, think it, I think it does hold that we need to take, take, the, take it as a warning, too, to persevere. But I think we, we should you know, take confidence in the other passages that talk about how God is at work in us. Right? He who is at work in us will complete the work. Yes. We also have those two warnings in Philippians to work out their own salvation. Right. And then Peter says, to make your calling and election sure. Yes. Don't take it for granted that, hey, I'm saved. There's nothing I can do. Right. Can't you know, God forbid you get the answer. I don't know. I can do anything. That's really Yeah. yeah. But don't take it for, thank God that he saved you and make your calling and election sure. 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 I mean, sure. You, mean, you can give those warnings. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, I think... Working out salvation in fear and trembling. I mean, this, this, is, this is something serious and, and solemn um, that we, you know, we must you know, surely you know, take uh, you know, much time to, to, to think, think through. Um, there's, there's another symbol, symbolism in the Old Testament connecting salt with... Um, I, I think I have, I have purity down there. We can, you can read those, those, those three passages uh, for yourself at some point. But I do want to... Uh, you know, just make the connection that the Old Testament makes with salt and and covenant stability. And there there are three there are three Old Testament texts that you know use use salt and connect it with 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 covenant in a very striking way. And uh, I'll just read 
that the first occurrence of that in, in Leviticus 2.13. And in context, this is a section regarding instructions on worship and priestly duties uh, within the temple. And uh, so we read in verse 13, You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So we learn that salt was, it was a, an integral part of every sacrifice. Um, that, that, that couldn't be left out. And it's very, I think it's very significant how it's connected with covenant. And then uh, note, uh, Numbers 18, 19, another section in, in the law uh, regarding priestly duties. Um, we read that all the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you, that is, the Levites, and, and, and to your sons and daughters after you. As a perpetual due, it is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring after you. So, you know, in context, the Levites, they had no portion in the land of promise, right? Their portion was the Lord's, the portion, their, their portion was the Lord. And, you know, they, their calling was to serve, serve God in the temple. And this arrangement that all the uh, God would provide for them and for their family, um, this covenant with uh, the Levites is, is called the covenant of salt forever. And it's interesting to think, you know, what, what, why, would, why would salt be emblematic of, of, of covenants? Or in this case, covenant stability, permanence, covenant faithfulness. Any ideas? Okay. Um, I mean, salt was indestructible. You know, indestruct, it's indestructible by fire. So it's, it really signifies as this perpetual, um, you know, permanent uh, symbol of, of God's faithfulness. Uh, just one sec. Just one sec, Rob. Um, and then just uh, there's a final reference to covenant of salt in, in Second Chronicles where the covenant of, with David, the Davidic covenant you know, between God and, and David and his household, that they would always be a king on the throne of Israel. And of course, that is fulfilled in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that, too, is, is referred to as a covenant of salt. So it's, it's emblematic of perpetuity of, of permanence and uh, really a symbol of God's faithfulness uh, to his word and to his covenant. Yes, Rob? Right. Yeah. 
No, yes, yeah, certainly. Certainly, absolutely. Um, okay, but, but any, any connection with covenant, I mean, if, if uh, salt is, is emblematic of, of covenant stability, faithfulness, how, how can, is that, is that even related to our calling as salt of the earth? Can we make any, any connection you know, in that regard? Any ideas? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think it really it really speaks to, you know, God's faithfulness to his word, you know, God's utter faithfulness and, um, you know, to the message that the salt bearers are to, you know, share and um, that God will do, you know, what he says he will do. Um, so, yeah. It cannot be exactly, yeah. It's irrevocable. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. It speaks of the faithfulness of, of God. Yeah. Eric, you. Yeah, and it's interesting in in the, in a parallel text to Matthew five thirteen, uh, in, in Mark, it's Mark nine, forty nine to fifty. Um, I think that is explicitly in view. Um, it, you know, in that text, Jesus says that everyone will be salted with fire, and um, so the, it's, it's this idea of testing, you know, whether it be now, you know, Christians undergoing the, the testing of, of persecution and, and uh, various twi- trials, you know, bearing, you know, showing forth that, that they're true salt or whether it's at the end of at the end of, of, of time where the judgment of of God will fall on everyone. And it's only those who have that the salt of of the word abiding in them. Uh, who will be able to uh, withstand that judgment? All right. Um, there are a couple, of, you know, a couple of questions of application, uh, or you know, questions that we could, you could ponder on the back there. Um, but I see that our time has uh, elapsed. Does anybody have any closing uh, comments or, or questions? <laughs> All right. Yes, Eric. Yes. If you just go a little bit before that, verses 11 and 12, um, they'll talk a little bit about maybe the curse side or you being persecuted. Yes. You're being salt and you're living that character and the attitudes do that with joy. Yeah. And then a parallel is the light that Sure. Yeah. Indeed. As far as the context, you're right. I think light functions in, in very much the same way 
as far as a, as a metaphor to salt. But, but there are some nuances to it. And of course, yeah, the, the persecution, it comes right after the, uh, you know, the text that the Christians will undergo persecution. And that could you know, speak a little bit to the, the connection of believers as, as sacrifices even in themselves. You know? And you know, what comes to mind is Romans 12, 1, we are to offer ourselves living sacrifices. And of course, with that Old Testament background where you know that all those sacrifices had to be sprinkled with, with salt, um, you know, Jesus' identification as us of salt of the earth, it takes on, it, it does take on that, that flavor of, of sacrifice as well. So, I mean, as you can see, I mean, that, the metaphor of salt is, is certainly, it's a rich metaphor. I think it does have its primary interpretations in the preservation and, and seasoning. But it, it certainly, I think, for the Christian, it takes on a multidimensional um, richness, especially as, as we're bringing in the, the Old Testament references to it. All right, so let, we'll, we'll close in prayer here and, and uh, just thank the Lord for the time. Our Father in Heaven, we do thank You for this time. We thank You, Lord, for, again, the rich deposit of truth in Your Word. We thank You for the rich, multidimensional emblem and symbol of salt that You've given to us. Father, we pray that by Your working, by Your Spirit, that we would truly be and exhibit, Lord, Your truth and, and be the salt and light that You have called us to be. We ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.